If you are enjoying this podcast, why not try Baker Street 2033 by the same author, a metaphysical mystery involving Sherlock Holmes, virtual reality, and fictional objects. Available on Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon Music. Returning to Dear Old Blood, it soon becomes apparent that uh, whole episodes have been lifted from Ray Monk's autobiography almost verbatim. Furthermore, there are elements which Wittgenstein could not have known about. Take the bar scene in which Russell's letters to Lady Ottoline Morell are cited as quasi-descriptors of the philosopher. Quote, passionate, dominating, acutely intellectual the most perfect example of a genius, etc., etc. Are we somehow to believe Wittgenstein was so acquainted with this description of himself as to be able to repeat it verbatim? Even if we allowed Denk the leniency of suggesting the Austrian was au fait with Russell's sentiments towards himself, what is the likelihood of him striking such exact verisimilitude between fiction and the actual letter of 1912 to Morel? The probabilities must be in the region of millions to one. An online article at the website mysteryfile.net entitled Hard-Boiled Wit, Ludwig Wittgenstein and Norbert Davis by Joseph Hoffman seems to be yet another source uncredited by Denk. Its discussion of the parallels between detectives and philosophers may have inspired the academic's philosophy of detection, although the latter is admittedly more fully developed in Denk's endnotes. This article was almost certainly influential in conjuring up the possibility that the missing notes from Rosrow Cottage might contain not further philosophical inquiry by Wittgenstein, but a hard-boiled detective story by the philosopher. Indeed, Denk seems to have been seduced by the very name of Wittgenstein's late work, Philosophical Investigations, which is thick with resonances of the mental detective work that a philosopher engages in. Wikipedia is a worryingly recurrent point of reference. In the afterword of the second edition of Dear Old Blood, an image is retrieved from the notoriously fallible online encyclopedia to rebut an accusation I had made regarding the tomb marker used as a dead drop in the story. Since the item used on the grave in the story is a pile of pennies, and not the ladder that appears in the photo, Denk believes this works as proof in his favour with regards to the story and its authorship. I remain unconvinced. The very use of a horizontal tomb marker and the appearance of objects on it bespeak the influence of the photo that is being used in his defence, a photo that necessarily existed after Wittgenstein's death. Similarly, The Karl Popper poker debacle has clearly been abstracted from a Wikipedia synopsis of the book written about the incident, Wittgenstein's Poker. Indeed, so much has been transposed from the internet uncredited that one wonders whether plagiarism is not the mot juste here. At times, Denk seems to have raided a host of online glossaries of noir slang. Heater, Convincer, Gunsell, 
These hard-boiled terms are used haphazardly throughout the work, which could appear to strengthen Denk's hand in arguing that Wittgenstein, a non-native speaker who had no pretensions of being a literary figure, wrote the story. And yet all the research shows Wittgenstein to have been a connoisseur of hard-boiled detective fiction and a prolific reader of Smith and Street. Ergo, he would have had a formidable understanding of the argo used therein and, given his natural genius, should have had no problem reproducing them in a fictional form of his own devising. This is manifestly not the case. For instance, there is a reticence to repeat words already used, so what appears are a slew of synonyms for the same object. A gun is a heater, convincer, iron, but never these things twice, as though Nix is incapable of falling back on the same verbal patterns. Again, this very lack of a discernible idiolect with set phraseology could be argued to support Denk's claim to Nix being Wittgenstein's work. Realism is a hard thing for even seasoned writers to bring off well, and, in any case, hard-boiled fiction is not striving for realism per se. So-called pulp fiction has always been rough and ready, meant for fast consumption, disposable. They were being written for the emerging throwaway society of modern consumerism. Theodore Adorno saw such works as the industrialised product of a cultural industry. They were not meant to be literary or long-lasting. It was only with the arrival of polished prose writers like Dashiell Hammett and Raymond Chandler that the noir form acquired a more literary lustre. Yet these are not the writers Wittgenstein was reading. Street and Smith and his beloved Norbert Davis espouse the accessible, no-frills approach to the genre. But perhaps these very errors are the work of a hoaxer, trying to emulate the inherent poor writing of pulp fiction, or of a non-native speaker attempting to write it. Of course, it could actually be Wittgenstein's story. Only access to the original manuscript will reveal which it is. In its absence, we are forced to become detectives ourselves, hunting for clues as to the verity of a fiction we are reading. Such ironies are the stuff that hoaxes are made of. Other anomalies include the posh Brit-speak of Bally by Russell, ending sentences with what, the use of jolly and so forth. All are cliché stereotypes of Cambridge elites. Just as the noir-speak borrows from Chandler et al., so this toff-speak seems cribbed from a collected edition of P.G. Wodehouse. Other lexical aberrations include a few flat notes which portray the use of contemporary idiom. Russell's use of the phrase, very godwit, sounds plucked from a modern sitcom. It should be something like, that was godwit through and through. Another example is with the notion of death outsourcing labour to him. The earliest use of outsource as a verb in the OED is 1979. Is this the clearest idea that the document is later than 1948? Can any explanation for this lexical aberration be found? Is it the author's own language game or original usage? Were the source documents to be found and Wittgenstein proven to be the author, this would show him to have pioneered this usage. It is exceedingly doubtful that this will be shown to be the case. To reiterate my point, this slip is either a genuine error made by Denk or a deliberate one, possibly arising from an unconscious desire to be caught out by a close reading of his work. Such close reading validates the work in the eyes of its creator, 
regardless of whether the work is eventually shown to be a hoax through the very close reading its author craves. It is a paradoxical double-bind worthy of a philosopher who has forged an entire career out of them, Slavoj Žižek. Then there is the appearance of the Tractatus Philosophicus Logicus, which sees parallels drawn by nicks between the philosophical work and the art of detection. Knowing Denk's earlier paper, the aforementioned hard-boiled propositions, the appearance of so similar a notion in the story should arouse suspicion immediately. Further studies, such as corpus text analysis, may show what I believe to be the case, that Denk is using this story to push his own Wittgensteinian agenda, that of the philosophy of detection and detective fiction as a core element of the Austrian's philosophy. I still await the appearance in the relevant journals of an I told you so style paper, which I expect the hoaxer, if he or she is still alive, would be unable to resist. Above all, it is my belief that they desire to be caught, and so leave a trail of breadcrumbs to this end. Why? Partly to gain renown through duping the eggheads of academia, I expect, as well as any personal point scoring vis-a-vis -vis me to be achieved therein. Partly to be admired for his own fictional skills at engineering such a multi-layered deception. In the age of celebrity, Denk had found his means of accessing this garlanded sphere, one that would guarantee newspaper column notoriety and an income that could potentially last a lifetime, temptations which clearly proved irresistible. As I can find no reference to the asylum in issues of Street and Smith Wittgenstein is likely to have read, I believe Nix's Penhurst Asylum reference derives from yet more cursory online research. The most probable source is one of those sensationalist modern lists that parade themselves as journalism, along the lines of nine creepiest insane asylums, which have become the bane of rigorous academic research online. It may also be that Denk had assayed the market of asylum-inflected horror in contemporary film and video games culture and was hoping to obtain benefit therefrom. The book's ending returns us to another contemporary cultural trope, the Nazis. I have previously exposed this plotline in light of Richard Evans's belief that the modern era is morbidly obsessed with Nazi history. Viewed thus, this narrative element morphs into a canny marketing ploy by Denk. Upon further reflection, the story's ending discloses another narrative influence, that of George Lucas's Indiana Jones films. In them, the Nazis become a synecdoche for evil in opposition to the heroic moral goodness which Jones represents. One need only consider the first film, Raiders of the Lost Ark, 1981, which features a pivotal scene set in a snow-blasted mountain hut in Nepal that resolves in a shootout with a Nazi and his hired thugs. The parallels of fire, snow and Nazi gunfire are hard to overlook as possible inspirations. Occasionally Denk raises his head above the paraffit to take aim at the latest trends in modern scholarship, as he does in Endnote 19. Here, the so-called speculative turn receives an exoriating salvo from Denk's pen. His plea for quietism results in the author contradicting himself by excising Wittgenstein quotes, the much-abused whereof one cannot speak, thereof one must be silent from the Tractatus, to score scholastic points, which only seem to exist in the author's mind. The peevish reference in the afterword regarding the use I have made of Deleuze and Guattari, perfectly legitimate, I might add, reveals the infantile mode of argumentation which he is prepared to engage in. 
Denk remains elusive, construct-like. There is a risk of slipping into the continental mode of thinking, whether it be demurely announcing the death of the author, a la Barth, or striking Foucauldian author-function poses. One shudders. Aren't such postmodernist parlor tricks behind us now? Is Denk really whatever we want him to be? An entity who is continually subjected to the valences of the reader? His name lends itself to such thinking. Denk derives from the German Denken, to think, whilst Herbert is British slang for an undistinguished or foolish man or youth. Finding the words conjoined together through mere parental whim seems too good to be true. To think this is to suppose Denk's hoax stretches all the way to his having created himself. Alas, the archive is scant enough to allow room for such fanciful thought experiments, in spite of my endeavours to plug such gaps. It would be unprofessional to say that he feels real to me, but, I must confess, he does. He is, after all, an adversary with whom I have been doing intellectual battle for several years now. He may yet reveal himself alive and well, and with the birth name John Smith. Time will hopefully tell. My concern, however, is not just for an academy still reeling from the Sokol hoax. The dangers of exposing frauds are manifold, and there is always a risk that the accuser will become the accused. Alas, this has now happened to me. It transpires that my own authorial existence is being called into question, and I will give a brief resume of this sad affair at the end of this essay. Missing my professional cap and the facts of the matter at hand, the things that are the case, as Wittgenstein might phrase it, the Denk archive contains several papers published under this name and, more significantly, one book purporting to be the published notes made in Ludwig Wittgenstein's hand at Rosrow Cottage in the summer of 1948. Those notes amount to a story, a hard-boiled detective story, which had been arranged in the most likely order by Denk. Rather than condemning it for being a hoax, there is a school of thought that says perhaps we should celebrate its literary pretensions. There is, after all, a carefully crafted noir thriller at the heart of this text, and whilst it may not reach the dizzy heights of Chandler and Hamnet, its author clearly never meant it to. It was meant to sit alongside the pulp offerings of Street and Smith, a detective story by a jobbing writer, earning a crust churning out hard-boiled fiction for the monthly story magazines. The self-congratulatory tone in the endnotes is, I believe, further proof of Denk's authorship of the work, Phrases such as, his genius is such, and distinctly satisfying conclusion, show how he cannot resist drawing attention to his own authorial skill. These irksome asides tend to mitigate any sympathies I might have had for the aforementioned school of thought, willing to decontextualise the story and judge the text qua text. My commentary is almost complete, but there is still one loose end which I must tie up, if only provisionally. To decry deception is to risk oneself becoming accused of the same deceit, and this has, alas, been the case with me. It is the fate of academics to have their work resisted. Each generation is keen to make their mark in an increasingly crowded field by unearthing some small and overlooked treasure in the archive. When Denk was unable to find any hard proof for this theory of Wittgenstein's oeuvre as a philosophy of detection, he turned to his own fictional talents to conjure up a trove of notes. 
I, in my turn, have turned the spotlight on Denk's literary hoax to draw attention to such malpractice, which, I believe, is in part a direct corollary of the increased pressure for academics to publish in the modern, metrics-driven world. And now the wheel turns full circle and the spotlight is being shone on me. In recent months, it has come to my attention that a keen young Finnish academic, Sami Salo, has cast doubt on the very existence of Herbert Denk. In his wildest claim to date, which comes in the form of a long rambling blog post, he has suggested that I am the author of multiple hoaxes, Herbert Denk, Dear Old Blood, and my own refutations of Denk's work. Hoaxing a hoax. It would probably be a world first if I had the temerity to attempt such a foolhardy feat. Whilst I would ordinarily ignore such inflammatory internet-based vanity publishing, the notice which these very public protestations have garnered means that to do so in this instance could prove costly to a hitherto unsullied reputation. I will therefore be conducting a point-by-point -point refutation in a forthcoming issue of the Wittgensteinian, which will then be included in all future editions of Dear Old Blood, further notes on a Wittgenstein noir. As I have become the de facto gatekeeper of Denk's estate, I feel as duty-bound to guard against falsehood in relation to him as I am to myself. If you have enjoyed this philosophical noir, you might also enjoy Baker Street 2033, The Glass Cryptographer, a modern take on Sherlock Holmes and ontology. Also forthcoming is a metaphysical western, Consolation is not on the map. All should be available from wherever you get your podcasts. If you have enjoyed this podcast, you might like to consider others by the same writer and producer, such as Baker Street 2033 and Modern Gothic. All are available from the usual podcast outlets. You could also consider supporting the writer at buymeacoffee.com slash Neil Fitzgerald.